Danger for new lifers is that you will have good intentions and not follow through. Last week, whenever I challenged you at the end of the service, I said, how many of you believe that God has called you to impart spiritual life to the next generation? Lots of you raised your hands, and I said, then you come down here to this altar. In the second service, in the first service, it was packed. In the second service, you could not get to the altar. So many of you said, I believe God's called me to impart spiritual life to my kids, to my grandkids, or just to kids in general. Now, I want you to think about if all of those folks do that. If you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to impart spiritual life to the next generation, then, then I don't have to worry about new life ceasing to exist. Not only will new life exist, we will thrive in the future. And that's the goal. The danger is, though, that, that 50%, 60%, whatever, are not going to follow through on what they committed to last week. That's what we want to combat today. Now, if we do not reach the next generation, we will lose them. And there's, there's an example in Scripture of this. Now, in the Old Testament, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt... Um, Janie and I just watched the thing on the Exodus last night that was pretty cool. He led them um, through the wilderness. They went to Mount Sinai. They go to the promised land. They don't get to go into the promised land the first time because they were disobedient. And then Moses at one point disobeys God. He sins, and so God says, you will not go into the promised land. But Moses didn't keep his sin from, from giving, from, his sin didn't keep him from giving us a model of how to reach the next generation. What he did was he found a very courageous, very faithful young man to be his right-hand man. Does anybody know who that is? Joshua, thank you. There was only one in the first service, and Gary knows because he was in the first service. Um, thank you, Gary. It was Joshua, and he's going to show us um, how, how that happened. Now, when Moses died, God led, um, God had already showed that Joshua was going to be the leader, but what happens is they come to the promised land. The river, the Jordan River is at flood stage, which means it is wide at flood stage. Regular, it's not that big a deal, but at flood stage, it's several feet deep, um, 20, 30 feet deep, and it's, it's hundred, not, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards wide at flood stage. So God had told them, take the, take the um, priests or to take the Ark of the Covenant. When their feet touch the river, the water will dry up. So they go and they do that. It dries up for 18 miles away is where this, the river is dammed up without a dam. That's pretty impressive. They walk through on dry ground. As soon as they get through on dry ground, the river comes back. And then God gives uh, Joshua how he's going to defeat Jericho, the very first city, the most fortified city of that day how they were going to defeat it. And they were going to walk around in silence the first day. They were going to do that for six days, walk around one time in silence. The seventh day, they were going to walk around seven times. At the end of that, the priests were going to blow the trumpet and the people were going to shout. Do you know what happened to the walls around Jericho? They fell down and it fell down in such a way that all of the Israelites who were, who were at war with them on the outside were able to go straight in and they were able to take care of all of the stuff that God didn't destroy. They were able to completely wipe out Jericho and they learned a couple of things that day. They learned, number one, God is in charge. And when God is in charge, great things happen. Number two, they learned that Joshua was God's man for this job and they needed to follow his leadership. Now, Joshua did some great things, but he failed miserably in one area. And that was he did not raise up the next generation to follow God. I bet he had good intentions, but he didn't follow through on those good intentions. Let me show you where, where this comes from. Ju uh, Judges chapter two, verse six. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went back to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord. They did what God wanted them to do throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. 
and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for them. So those who had firsthand knowledge were good leaders. And as long as they were alive, everybody followed God. Look what happens in verse 10. After that whole generation, so everybody that I just mentioned, Joshua, all of the elders that, that were around Joshua, after they'd been gathered to their ancestors, that just means they died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. Now, I just added this to my notes later. So first, they took their eyes off of God. They started looking at the people in the land. God said, don't, don't follow them because if you do, you'll forsake me. Sure enough, they started looking at the people of the world. They said, we want to do what they're doing. They began to do the same sins, and so they were stained by the people of the world. They began to love the people of the world more than they loved God. They were conformed to the people of the world, and then lastly, they were condemned with the people of the world because look what happens when you, when you do not obey God. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisk. Baal was a fertility god. They did disgusting things in the name of worshiping Baal. Ashtoreth was his, his wife, his goddess, and they did really weird things, thinking they, that, that if they did those things in the worship of their G, their lowercase god, their idol, that, that somehow their crops would reproduce. It's just bizarre. So here's what happens. God always keeps his promises for blessing and for discipline. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to see this. God said, if you obey me, I will bless you. You disobey me, I will discipline you. And so God disciplines them. So what happened was they forgot what God had done, they forsook what God had said, and then they forfeited God's promises in the promised land. Eventually, they lose the whole land. That's how we lose the next generation. So here's what I want you to know. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If that is true, then who shoulders the blame when the next generation knows neither God nor what God has done for his people? Who shoulders the blame? The previous generation, my generation. In this series, we've said that every Christian needs a Paul, an older Christian who pours into them. Every Christian needs a Timothy, a younger Christian that they pour into. In the Old Testament, it would have been everybody, every God follower needs a Moses. Every God follower needs a Joshua. So the Old Testament, New Testament say the same thing. The next generation will go only as far as we lead them. Now, here's the deal. You can, you can have or you can be a spiritual father. Now, we'll talk about girls in a minute, but just hang on. A spiritual father doesn't replace your earthly father, but is a supplement to them. Maybe you didn't have a good spiritual father. Uh, maybe he wasn't following Christ or whatever. You can have one in the church. Or you can be that spiritual father for the next generation. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's telling the church at Corinth, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ. Now, this word guardian is actually the Greek word paedagogos. Uh, and it means a servant who takes a child to school, a tutor, or an instructor. So this is someone who is hired to take care of the next generation, like a nanny. In your world, you may have had teachers, coaches, bosses, just people who had an interest in you, but it was a role, it wasn't a calling. What we're talking about is a calling. So he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians, if you had 10,000 tutors, nannies, bosses, he says, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, he's not saying I'm a priest. He said, I told you about Jesus. I led you into the kingdom, so I'm like a spiritual father to you. 
He says, therefore, imitate me. Now, now you may not want to be like your dad, but isn't it just the cutest thing when a child acts like his mom or his dad? My two-year-old grandson, Waylon, well, the, they sent us this video, and, and his mama was doing her hair like this one day, and then Caleb pans over, and you see Waylon bald as he can be, and he starts doing his head like that. And it was just the cutest thing. He's imitating his mama, or when he tries to put on his daddy's shoes, or when Papa's there, and he puts on Papa's shoes, and he wants to act. It is so cute when a child wants to imitate a father. Well, in this instance, he's saying, you can be a spiritual dad that other people imitate. And look what happens. For this reason, because you have all kinds of guardians, but you don't have spiritual fathers. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love. Now, it wasn't his physical son. It was a spiritual son. And look what he says about him. Who is faithful in the Lord, he'll remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. How cool for Timothy to have Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, say, I trust this guy so much. He is imitating me as I imitate Christ that I'm going to send him to you as a father. Paul was in prison. He couldn't go himself. So he sent the next best thing, who was a spiritual son. Wouldn't it be cool to have someone describe you as a spiritual son or daughter and to say I trust them so much they're going to teach you what I taught you which comes from God and if they're following God we need to follow God's word we need to be under that authority how incredible would it be if when I if if God lets me know when I'm going to die and I were able to say I'm entrusting to this church my spiritual sons and daughters who I know are going to take this word and they're going to live it out that's how, we, that's how we continue to exist. Now, he's saying, I can't be there. I'm going to send you this guy. He's like a son to me. And this, this language is so foreign to us. And I think that's why most churches are failing nowadays. It should be normal that older people, I'm 54. I'm an older person, unless you're at Oak Meadows. And then they were like, we thought you were 30. And I'm like, yes, because they're 80 and 90. But the older folks should be pouring into the younger folks. Number two, you can have or be a spiritual mom. Now, there's only two options. I know there's all kinds of other options out in the world. You can be a dude. You can be a spiritual dad or have a spiritual dad. You can have a spiritual mom or be a spiritual. There's two options. God made them male and female. Here's what it says in Titus. He's talking to another pastor. He says, similarly, now he's just told um, Titus how the men are supposed to live. And he says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander. Let me tell you about this word slander. So in the Greek, it's the word devils. And it actually is translated as false accuser. The Satan, the enemy of God, his name Satan means the accuser. And so Paul is saying, older women, if they want to honor God, they cannot be false accusers. They can't be the ones that go, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you see what they did? Did you know? I know what they were thinking. Oh, you do. So you're God. You're the Holy Spirit. I thought the Holy Spirit's job was taken. I didn't know they had an opening and you applied and you got the job. He says, older women live in a way that honors God and don't you be false accusers or heavy drinkers. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what it means. But I do know the Bible says don't get drunk. So heavy drinkers, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you are always living for the next drink, I would say that classifies as a heavy drinker, which disqualifies you to be one of these spiritual moms. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train. Ladies, you don't, you don't tell younger women, just try to love your husband. Just try to love your children. I tried. You know, 
And sometimes you want to send them off, right? I read a few comments about that this week on Facebook. And they were kidding. They were kidding. But, you know, sometimes... Train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Oh, no, you didn't just say that. Well, let me tell you, that word is in the word of God. Men are created by God, chosen by God to be the spiritual leaders in the home, and men, you are leading somewhere. You may be leading away from God, or you may be leading towards God, but you're not being neutral. There's no such thing. And the reason we have more women working in churches than men is because women take the word of God more seriously and men are not fulfilling the role and so they step up. Women will step up and they'll say, if you're not going to lead, I'm going to lead. Now you're supposed to be under authority. And guys, you need to be under authority. You know why there's, well, let me see, let me say this and then I'll go on. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. So here it is. If you do those things, if you train them, if you live a life that's pure, if you're not a false accuser, if you're not a heavy drinker, if you do all of those things, you will not bring shame on the word of God. That means if you do those things, if you are an accuser, a false accuser, if you're not living a life that honors God, if you're a heavy drinker, you will bring shame on the word of God, on the name of God, and God takes his name and he takes his word very seriously. And you disqualify yourself if you're not doing these things, older women. Do you know why so many marriages are failing today? Not enough older women training the younger women how to live and living a life that honors God. Not enough older men who can legitimately say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who was it that, that showed you how to love God and how to love women? Who was it who said to you, if you don't want to get a girl pregnant, keep your pants zipped? That was Chuck Washburn, my father. That was one of the best things ever. He was right. <laughs> best birth control ever. I didn't need birth control. I kept my pants on. It worked. Who showed you what it means to love your bride as Christ loved the church? You can have that or you can be that. You should have that in the kingdom of God, in the church. That's why churches are failing. Now, let's start with those of you who want someone to speak into your life. You need someone to invest into your life. First thing you need to, need to do is determine what you're looking for. For example, you may be dating someone and you want to get married. She smells good. She looks good. She's soft. Her lips are sweet. She's a dime piece. I didn't even know what that was until a couple years ago. I was watching on TV and they explained it. And I was like, oh, she's a 10. I didn't know that. My wife is a dime piece. You may not have had a great role model of what a Christ follower or Christian marriage looks like. You need an older couple who loves Jesus who will come along beside you and say, here's how you... Because I, I did a study years ago with teenagers and we were talking about marriage and I was trying to prepare them for marriage. And I said, okay, here's three things you need to know about marriage. Marriage is work, marriage is work, marriage is work. If you're not willing to work, don't get married. Don't do it. So you, if you want to have a strong Christian marriage, you need a Paul and Timothy, or you need a Paul or a Paulina who knows what it means to be a Christ follower and have a solid Christian marriage. If you're a brand new believer, um, <laughs> you don't even know, you don't know much. You still think the epistles are married to the apostles. And some of you are going, what's an epistle? It's a letter. It's, what, it, it's the word that they use in, for the letters of the New Testament. And I remember going to seminary and, and they said, we're going to be studying the epistological letters and I'm you made who mad <laughs> sorry that's just the way my mind works I'm like say letters 
the epistles to the apostles. Some of you are going, they're not married? Anyway, if you're a brand new Christian, you need someone who's been a Christian a long time who will come along beside you and say, here's the book of Genesis. You need someone like Jeff Gillis who was around when the book of Genesis was written. <laughs> he can tell you all kinds of things about Christ and, and Moses and crossing the Red Sea. You need someone... <laughs> I told him to be listening for his, for his name. <clears throat> you need someone just to define the basics for you. So if you're going to have a, Paul or a Paulina, three things you need to do. Number one, ask questions, listen, and take notes. Ask questions, listen, take notes. When you, when you um, get with your Paul, come loaded with questions and be ready to write it down. When I'm with someone who is, is wiser than me, I can't possibly take everything in, so I write it down. My favorite pastor was Ken Andrus. He was pastor at, at Southside Baptist when I was youth minister there, and I have notebooks where I took his uh, notes. He didn't do a listening guide, so I had notebooks where I would take notes, and the man was just one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life. That man spoke into my life through his teaching, but he also saw things in me, and he called out of me things like Paul did to Timothy. Um, this, this asking questions, this is what the jailer did in the New Testament. You remember um, Paul and Silas were, were preaching and they got in trouble because they were Christians. They were beaten, they were thrown into jail. And so um, at midnight, the Bible says, they were singing praises. They're singing, you are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. And all of a sudden there's this earthquake and all of the doors of the jail open up. And, and so the jailer looks at that and he's gonna kill himself. He takes his sword out, he's gonna kill himself because if you're a Roman jailer and you lose your prisoners, you have to give your life for the prisoners. So he's just gonna, cut out the middleman. He's just going to kill himself. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 we're still here. What kind of power of God must have been in, in Paul and Silas's life that none of the prisoners left, right? I mean, because what prisoner, the door opens miraculously, he's not going to run out. But Paul's like, no, 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 we're still here. And so this jailer, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter that he has power. He comes running in. And look what it says in Acts 16, 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I, be, what must I do to be saved? His power, his position didn't matter, matter squat. He said, I want to know this God that you follow. That's a great question. Let me give you some other great questions. What do you wish you knew when you were my age? Great question to ask. What's the best piece of advice someone has ever given you? What's your biggest regret? What do you see in me that I don't see in myself? You can ask all kinds of questions. How do you study the Bible? How do you pray? What is it that, that, that when you're down, what keeps you going? Great questions. Second thing, put into practice what you see. As you watch the way they live, do what they do. Take their advice. Philippians 4, 9, Paul says this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if he's not doing what God has called him to do, you will not have peace. That's not what you're going to have. But if he's imitating Christ and you imitate him or her, then you will have, the God of peace will be with you. One of the greatest blessings that you can give your Paul or your Paulina is to take their advice to do it. For years, I've had people ask me what to do in their love lives. And no one ever takes my advice. Now, Sherry came up to me after the first service. She goes, uh, by the way, Michael and I came to you one time for counseling. We did it, and we're still together. I said, <laughs> and Jaime and Kelsey, they told me they came too. And, and, and so two couples in my 34 years, 35 years of ministry have taken my advice. Um, 
But sometimes what will happen is people will ask me. So it started in youth ministry. They'd ask me what to do in their love life, and it continues in, in, in my, as, a, as I'm a pastor. And sometimes I feel like this. Y'all ever see the Lucy Peanuts cartoon where it says, psychiatric help, five cents, the doctor is in? Janie will call me sometimes. She goes, how's it going? I'm like, dude, the love doctor is in. And she knows I'm being in, inundated with questions about how to be married or how to have relationships, and it comes from teenagers, and, and it's just crazy. And what happens so often is, you know, let me tell you this, there are two couples in my 35 years that I've counseled and they both have been out here. One of them was a non-Christian couple. And so when they came, I said, let me just ask you a question. Why are you here? You don't believe in God. You don't believe in the Bible. Everything I tell you is going to come from the Bible. And they said, well, we heard you might be able to help us. And I said, only if you follow the advice. After a few weeks, I finally said, do y'all even like each other? No. I said, are y'all doing anything I've told you to do? I said, no. I said, okay, you need to quit wasting my time. You're going to be divorced within six months. They left. I never saw them again. They got divorced. Another Christian couple sitting out there when we used to have the couch out there. Dude, they, they weren't doing jack. And I finally, I, I just, because I'd rather be home with my wife and my children than hanging out with people who don't do and it's not what I say. If what I say, just blow that off. But if it's from God's word, you better do it. So I don't have time for that trash. I finally said, do y'all like each other? Nope. I said, we're going to quit meeting. Y'all are going to be divorced within six months. Christian couple divorced within six months. So praise God, Jaime and Kelsey did what I had told them to do. And praise God, Michael and Sherry did. But let me tell you one other time. When I was a youth minister, um, <laughs> the, well, here's what, here's what happens. People will come back to me later and they'll go, I should have done what you told me to do. And I'm like, I know, right? I said, you're suffering because you're an idiot. God told you what to do. You said, I ain't doing that. And God said, all right, have your own way. That's the worst thing God can do is let you have your own way when it doesn't follow his plan. One time I was in youth ministry, and this was years ago, and Janie knows this story. So um, we, were, we were at youth group, and we were about to start youth worship, and this girl comes early because she wants to ask me about her love life. Now, when I say love life, I'm talking about dating life. She wasn't having sex. She was a nice young girl. And so she says, I need to know what to do. And I said, do you really want to know what to do? And she goes, yes. And I said, okay, do you like him? No. I said, then break up with him. Well, it might hurt his feelings. I said, you're stringing him along. That's worse. Break up with him now. And she goes, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, okay, let me ask ask you a question. If you have some mass, some, some cancer or something the doctor has to do surgery on, would you rather the doctor take this really sh sharp scalpel and cut and get in there and get out and sew it back up? Or would you rather him take a butter knife and take days to get it out? She goes, well, that's stupid. I'd rather have a scalpel. I said, then use a scalpel, break up with the boy now. She walks off. I didn't think anything of it. 90 seconds later, she walks back out. She goes, I did it. I was confused. I said, did what? And she goes, I broke up with him. And I said, no one ever takes my advice. I said, how, did, how do you feel? And she goes, I feel free. And she goes, that was great advice. I said, I have so much more where that came from. I can help you. Well, that brings me to the last point here. Don't waste their time if you're not going to take suggestions. If you want to honor your spiritual father and mother, do what they tell you to do. The most valuable thing a person can give you is their time, not their money. They can make more money. They can't make more time. Romans 12.10 says, Love each other like brothers and sisters. Give each other more honor than you want for yourself. Show up on time. Come with questions. Do what they tell you to do. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would like somebody, 
have a Paul or a Paulina speaking into your life. There's some area, maybe marriage, maybe finance. You'd like to have somebody speak into your life. Okay, good. I was getting worried. I saw one hand. If you want to be a better mom, have a better marriage, whatever, you can have somebody. That's a no-brainer, right? But at the same time, how many of you would say, I'm kind of intimidated thinking about speaking into someone else's life? Let me see your hand. Because you're like, I don't, I, I'm not good enough to speak into someone else's life. Let me ask some questions. How many of you have been hurt by someone and you've overcome that hurt? Let me see your hands. Now, time out. Let's, let's put them back down, back up. If you are still breathing fire and fire darts are coming out of your eyes when you talk about that hurt, you have not overcome it. It has overcome you and you are disqualified, okay? I mean, you can speak about it in a way you go, I can see now what God was doing. That's what I mean by overcome. So if, if you've overcome, how many of you have been hurt and you've overcome? Let me see your hands again. Actually, some of you put your hands down. That's good. Wisdom in the room. How many of you have failed at something and learned from that failure? How many of you have had a significant setback and overcome the setback? God has prepared you to be a Paul or a Paulina to someone else. God takes your hurts and he turns them into ministry opportunities where you're supposed to help someone coming after you. If you fought and survived cancer, who better to coach someone through that? If you've overcome something like drugs, alcohol, pornography, guess who God chooses to help others struggling with those issues? If your marriage has survived incredible debt or maybe adultery or just psycho in-laws, guess who God calls to speak into the next? Some of you are laughing way too loud at that. Um, if your kids have caused you trouble for years and you've learned how to pray without ceasing, guess who God has called to speak into someone who's just being devastated by their children running from God? Don't you dare insult God by saying you don't have anything to offer the kingdom. Don't you do it. You can be, you can have a spiritual father, you can be, you can have a spiritual mother. Yesterday, I'm studying the life of Job and God has just been showing me so much about how to, how to speak into people who are hurting. And here's what I wrote down. felt like God wanted me to share this with you. The best way to help discouraged and hurting people is to listen with your heart, not just with your ears. It is not what they say, but why they say it that is important. Don't argue or try to convince them with logical reasoning. There's going to be time for that later. I'm, I'm way too logical. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, patiently accept their feelings, even their bitter words against God, and build bridges, not walls. True comfort can only be shared by those who know what it is like to be so far down in the pit that they feel as though God has abandoned them. If you want to be a true comforter, there's a price to pay, and not everyone is willing to pay that price. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God's comfort is never given. It is always loaned, and he expects us to share that with others. Well, let me talk about real quickly how to be a spiritual mom or dad. First of all, be an example in the way you live. Here's what he says in Titus 2.7. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything, I want you to say the word everything. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. With God's help, I plan to love one woman and serve her faithfully my entire life. I want to love her as Christ loved the church, and I'm still learning 27 years in. 
can't tell you how many times in the last few months we'll reach over and grab hands and I'll go, for better or for worse, baby. <laughs> and she'll say, for better or for worse. I plan to live with financial integrity in leading this church. I plan on leading this church until I'm so old that my trusted advisors say, dude, you're done, just die already and give it to someone else. I think that was Moses' second in command. He wasn't first. That was Joshua. And I haven't found the book of Jeff. Still looking. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. What I don't understand is why wouldn't you want to be an example? Why Why do you want to do the same job every day and come home and fall into bed and wake up and go to a job that, that, that's going to end when, and actually it probably won't even end when you die. They'll just give it to somebody else. I want to do something that outlives me. And this church is, is where most, most of my investment is. And I believe that you guys can run with it. And it can thrive. Second thing, tell stories. Here's what I did. Here's what God did. Now, I've told you so many times the dumb things I've done, right? So what you've done may be good or bad, but what God does is always good or bad. Look, uh, it's always good, uh, no matter what you do. Look at Psalm 145, verses 4, 6, and 7. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. David wrote this, and isn't that what we do every Sunday? We come and we talk about how magnificent God is and how his word is relevant today because it's supernatural and it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and this word is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts and this word can make you look more like Jesus Christ. We do this every week. What if we did it every day? And when you tell your stories, if your stories are all about God worked in my life 20 years ago but God hasn't worked in your life in the last week there's something wrong with your story and your relationship with God you're relying on something that happened long ago and I'm not sure you even know who he is today because once once something happened 50 years ago yay I can tell you about stuff that happened in my life 50 years ago I can tell you about stuff that happened in my life this week where God we've I was praying with a group of people one time and and, um, we prayed specifically for something. Within 12 hours, God answered that prayer. That happened in the last three weeks. And I was surprised, not that God answered, I was just surprised how quickly God answered. You need to be up to date in your relationship with Christ and then tell stories. Number three is share your life. Open your heart and let someone in. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Because we loved you, we were happy to share not only God's good news with you, but our lives. You had become so dear to us. For you to take what you've been through and not share it with the next generation is unbelievably selfish and dishonors your heavenly father. So here's what I want to leave you with. You will never do all of what God wants you to do in this life without someone speaking into your life and believing in you. That's part one. You will never do everything that God wants you to do in this life without you speaking into and believing in someone else. 
When my pastor, Ken Andrus, said he saw something, he saw greatness in me, and he challenged me to reach the next generation, it lit a fire in me. But can I tell you, as good as that felt, I think it's even cooler to speak into someone else's life and to say, I see greatness in you. I see God moving in and through you that you're going to change destinies. That's what the church is about. Let's pray together. God, I pray that your people will hear this message and they would not settle for good intentions, but they would do something with this calling for the glory of God and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.